right. This is so exciting for me because I love you. And once upon a time, I said to Kyle, oh my God, there's this guy, Josh Tongo. He's so cool. And Kyle said, he's coming on the QHC. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I personally feel beyond excited. As a rising thought leader, Joshua has spoken to thousands of people throughout the United States and abroad at conferences, universities, workshops, churches, and house meetings. He speaks on topics such as the law of attraction, reality transurfing, consciousness, religion, paranormal phenomena, and personal development, offering new paradigms relevant for our day and age. Joshua is the host of the Joshua Tongle podcast, which is where he interviews brilliant minds, influential leaders, celebrities, and more. He's also the author of books of the books, The Secret to Awesomeness, and So You Thought You Knew. And he has an awesome YouTube channel, which is where I found you, Josh, and so many others have. And the reason why Josh is so absolutely awesome is because he presents all this information in a way that is completely authentic and it's so refreshing and so delightful to watch him and listen to him so i'm so excited to have you here and with that joshua tongo all right what's up you guys nice to be here it's a pleasure and honor yeah this is really cool you guys so i'll just follow your guys lead leah thank you for the meditation um and kyle everybody just so it's an, it's an honor so yeah I'll just, I'll just follow your guys lead of what you guys want me to do or to share so. <laughs> you just want to jump in now and tell us a little bit about your story and how, okay. how this incredible journey unfolded brother cool cool so i'll just share my journey right cool. so all right uh it's gonna take it's gonna, it might take a while <laughs> a little over 15 minutes kyle <laughs> from what we talked about earlier <laughs> we have time brother just let it fly <laughs> Cool, cool. Hopefully this will be something that people, you know, your listeners, your viewers could relate to. But um, I think if I heard an interview of yours, Kyle, you had a religious background, right? Yeah. So, so hopefully you could yeah. be able to relate um, to, to myself. Maybe. I'm not sure. But I did grow up in a, in a religious home. You can call it. A, I'll look at a screen. All right. <laughs> I, I grew up in what you would call like a charismatic Christian background. And I'll define that for some of your listeners in case they don't know what that means. So within Christianity, there's not just like you're a Christian and that's it. There's actually a lot of different kinds, believe it or not. And I was part of the Christian faith where we had a, a really heavy focus on what's called the supernatural gifts of the spirit, where these things are operant today. So, for example, these would be things like the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, uh, words of knowledge, uh, things like that, you know, signs and wonders. And no joke, I was, in, I was like at the church, like the main hub in Los Angeles where all the famous guys went to. You know, they're, they're the ones that were on the Christian channel. You guys are familiar with that on TBN. And um, those guys were the ones that would go to my church. And so I was used to the whole environment of people where this might sound a little bit weird or maybe really weird to some people. But I was part of the charismatic group that, that, that even would have what's called like the holy laughter, where you'll see people at church like jerking their bodies, like moving like this as if they're having a seizure and then they're on the ground. And they're being stuck on the floor they would call that like holy ghost glue <laughs> you know things like that <laughs> you know these interesting names and um, believe it or not i was used to that so i, I grew up in that um you know we call it like the revival movement you know where just people be crying out and it's very very loud environment and um so that that was my background okay and while i was a kid i was also fascinated with 
near-death experiences because my mom used to share a lot of these stories to me about people who would you know die and go to heaven and they would meet Jesus and as a little kid I was really really amazed with those kinds of things with those stories and um, I was just like I just don't have to, I don't want to have a near-death experience though I just want to go to heaven <laughs> right but I was so fascinated with them meeting Jesus and being in these really interesting environments that they would identify as heaven and things like that and and so because of that background I was very open to what we would call the supernatural and I just I would usually say quote-unquote supernatural because um, I think it's more of like a misnomer because I think these things could actually be normal right but that's a whole other story so because of that um, like I said I, I grew up in that and I was very open to what you would call spirit and so as a kid I had several instances where we would call it like paranormal phenomena and I'll just mention two um, just for the sake of keeping everything shorter but the, the ones that really stood out to me was when I was really young and I was just uh, in my bedroom it was late at night and I was just like looking at the corner of my room remember I'm just a little kid and I see this like this ghostly figure <laughs> just like floating at the corner and staring at me <laughs> not saying a word and didn't you know I didn't hear anything this this being didn't hurt me um, but I freaked out and I screamed, you know, and then my parents came in the room and then they prayed over me. And surprisingly, I just stayed in my room. I didn't sleep with my parents because I was scared, but I, I never forgot that. Then another incident was when I was a little bit older and my dad was telling me, because my nickname is Joe, right? my nickname is Jojo. So I was like, Joe, why don't you close the sliding door? And uh, you, li you like that name? Is that your name? I don't know. I said so, <laughs> right? And um, so he's like, why don't you close the sliding door? So we had this really big sliding door in the house that I was growing up in and I shut it for sure and when I was walking away just a little like a couple seconds after I was walking away I heard and I saw I saw this really bright light behind me go like that like as if someone had a flash on like taking a picture of me with a camera that, that's what it's you know what I saw um, and then I and that, but I heard that noise too it was like really weird and then my dad's like hey <laughs> I told you to close the door and then I turned around <laughs> and then the door was going completely open right and so I'd never forgot that incident I for years I just like oh I don't know what that was is that a demon you know with my Christian framework or is that an angel you know nothing really bad happened but th those two things really stood out to me uh, but one of the the things that I could say has been a big part of my life that I've talked about in my videos and I also shared about it in my books which actually catches some people by surprise even though they've been following me for years so I don't even know if you guys know this about me but you guys know about my hand I was born with only one hand well, there you go, <laughs> right? So I was actually born with only one hand. I didn't say the guy's face was shocked, <laughs> right? So a lot of people, you know, who've been following me for years, they're just like, oh, we never knew, right? And so it's not necessarily one hand, but it's more of like an underdeveloped hand, right? And I struggle with it, you guys, for pretty much most of my life, ever since I was a kid, because unfortunately, you know how kids can be. Um, they were pretty cruel, so they tease me a lot. And I really thought, you know, girls wouldn't like me no matter how much I cut my hair and try to dress cool. I was like, I don't think girls will like me. <laughs> and honestly, that's how I really felt. I was very insecure. And so because of that, obviously, I grew up in a, in a type of Christianity that, that focused a lot on the supernatural. So because of my struggles, because of my insecurities, because of my fears, right, I was always like, how am I going to get a job and this and that? And how will I be a cashier? You know, just those questions that you have as a teenager. You know, and um, so I was just like, well, maybe God will heal me because the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So this is not necessarily a healing that I'm asking for, because obviously it's not like I'm sick, but we would call it like a creative miracle. Right. You would like restore. Give me fingers. Right. Because that's just what I wanted. Um, I just didn't want to be teased anymore. And 
just didn't want to have a low self-esteem with about myself so many nights i would just like pray and just like hope that when i wake up in the morning bam i'll have two hands but that was like what i expected for years you guys like all the time and i would go to all these miracle crusades that's what they're called these miracle crusades where these thousands and thousands of people would be coming together with you know to see this these famous faith healers from africa and all these you know places you know and i would go to all those things like the big names at that time back in the in the 90s and um you know trying to get healed and nothing really happened but then the turning point for me you guys was when i was 17 years old and um i went to the the, probably the most famous faith healer at that time was coming to California, right? Because I'm from Cali and they were going to Anaheim. And I was like, dude, this is like the most famous one that's all over television, the Christian network and supposedly miracles are happening. I'm going to go to this crusade and get healed finally, right? Because this is like the most famous one, <laughs> guy. And so because of that, I told my friends, I said, hey, you guys, you know, my friends are not even Christian. I said, you guys, I'm going to come back. I'm going to go to this crusade. I'm going to come back with two hands. Just watch right? And it was also my way of trying to convert them because they're not Christian, right? So it was like my testimony, like, if I come back with two hands, you better believe in Jesus, <laughs> right? So I, I, I invited my friends who are not Christian. They were actually very weirded out <laughs> by the whole crusade because, you know, there's a lot of people falling down and speaking in tongues. It was very kind of like overwhelming. It could look like a weird atmosphere for those people who are not familiar with this kind of scene. So there I was at this event, uh, lifting up both of my hands, crying, and just like, you know, there's a lot of energy in the room because there's a lot of sick people there, right? You'll see a lot of people in wheelchairs, people, you know, have cancer and this and that. And so there I was just wanting to have my hand, you know, to, to have fingers. So I was crying and then nothing was happening. And obviously my friends were probably wondering like, what the heck's going on? Nothing's happening. And Josh, because my friends were there with me. So I said, I told my friends, take me, take me to the stage and let the, the faith healer lay hands on me. Because maybe if he lays hands on me, something's going to happen because he has like the supernatural anointing. We call it the anointing, right? It's like a power, like in Christian terms. And so we went downstairs and then, and then we heard the, the speaker say, uh, come back tomorrow. Cause there was just so many people. It was a huge event, you guys in the, the college, uh, what do you call it? It's like this big event in Anaheim. So I was like, ah, oh, crap. All right. I'll come back tomorrow. You know, cause it's a several day conference. And then obviously didn't get healed. And honestly, you guys, that, from that point on you guys my life completely changed like completely in like a 180 and it's funny because I, I i read a lot of the comments from people you know um just online and they think that because of that experience i became very bitter towards god or whatever and that's like totally not true at all when i had that experience and not being healed i wasn't bitter i was more sad i was just hurt because i thought that hey um uh, I guess God doesn't do these kinds of things today. And, but I'm still a Christian. I still love Jesus, you know, those kinds of things. And so when that happened, I started to question things a little bit because I was pretty much let down. And this was when I was a senior in high school. And I found out that one of my teachers there at this new high school that I transferred to my senior year, I transferred school senior year because I got in some trouble back in my old high school. <laughs> and then uh, at this new school, one of my teachers was what you would call a Christian apologist. I had no clue what that was, what's a Christian apologist. It just sounds like a weird word, like you're apologizing for something, right? And I'll just define it for your, your listeners. So a Christian apologist is basically somebody who defends 
the Christian faith. So it's more of like the intellectual side of Christianity. So for instance, it's like if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Kyle, how do you know the Bible is true, man? It's just a bunch of, bunch of BS, bunch of nonsense. And they'll say, well, how about some philosophical arguments or some historical argument? So that was me. I was that guy, <laughs> right? That'll give you all the philosophical arguments for the existence of God and things like that. And so I got heavily involved in that because my whole life, I was a very simple kid. I believed everything, especially those faith healers, which ended up being more of a negative thing for me later on because I was so hurt of my experience thinking like, ah, these guys are all charlatans now because when I go to these events, I don't really see any healings. I just hear people claim that they're healed, right? Because people will come on stage and be like, they're shaking and the healer will be like, ah, oh, that's the Holy Ghost, you know, burning away your cancer, your tumor. And I'm like, well, it's not like we can see that. And so I look back, I started to filter all my history as a kid. Like, yeah, there's what's so supernatural about people speaking in tongues because you could just say like banana backwards, you know, that people falling down. That's kind of like, uh, you know, just, a, you know, uh, psychological, the expectation of falling down when someone lays hand on you, then boom, you know, so I was like trying to, trying to explain everything that there, there had to be explanation for all the quote unquote supernatural things because I never saw arms grow out. You know, I, I didn't see someone raised from the dead and we're all talking about these supernatural things that God do that God did of, you know, parting the sea and giving sight to the blind or hearing to the deaf. And, but I, I, I didn't really see that all those years. So what happened to me is that when I delved into intellectual Christianity, it became a double-edged sword for me because in a good way, it helped me to not believe everything anymore in, in the sense of I wasn't so gullible like I used to be right like if there's a guy from Africa like a healer I'm like wow <laughs> you know from Korea but now I'm like nah I gotta I gotta question some of these guys but it, it went to the extreme now when I look back in retrospect because I didn't believe anybody nobody for eight straight years so I wasn't just a skeptic and I have nothing against skepticism I'm still a skeptic even to this day depending upon you know the original meaning of a skeptic is just someone that just doesn't believe until there's some evidence that's presented right so i'm still a skeptic but i so i was much more than that i was a hardcore and aggressive critic of all things supernatural all things paranormal christian and non-christian because of my experience and because that's what i was kind of training to do because when you study apologetics you don't just learn how to uh, criticize all the other religions trying to prove that they're false right, or other worldviews like atheism, agnosticism, etc. But you also criticize the charismatic versions of Christianity, and you kind of reveal on how they're more cultic, right, that they have a lot of uh, weird phenomena that's not in the Bible. Like, where do you see Holy Ghost glue on the ground, you know, Holy Ghost laughter, where's that in the Bible, you know, so I started thinking things like that, right, where like everything had to be in the Bible. And so I became so aggressive that everyone that I came across with, because my whole scene was this whole movement of charismatic stuff, I was telling everybody my story, right? I was getting into a lot of arguments, a lot of debates, and, every, and I was already guest speaking since I was 17 years old. So you can imagine when I was actually traveling already, um, I was actually <laughs> criticizing these things while I was at the pulpit, right? To the more conservative groups that were open to my stuff. And uh, then during that eight year period, or after, should I say, yeah, the eighth year was 2005. And it was the year of hell for me <laughs> because at that time, when I was aggressively trying to discredit all of the quote unquote miraculous stuff, charismatic stuff, paranormal stuff, I got sick and I got injured. So the irony of it all, <laughs> because I was a guy that if you ever mentioned to me healing once in a conversation during the eight years, I would roll my eyes. I'm like, please, dude, this is a bunch of nonsense. This, this would be all over the news. 
you know, these people are really being healed, you know what I'm saying? And so obviously my relationships with my family was kind of strained in that sense, because they were still into that stuff. And I just thought that they were being delusional, you know? So if you're not a charlatan, you're, you're, you're just deceived. That was my mentality, right? You just don't know any better, unfortunately. So I was really in my head, unfortunately. And that's how much in my heart, um, even though I thought that I was at that time. But 2005, <laughs> so in case you guys didn't know this either, um, I was actually a break dancer actually all of my life, believe it or not. So despite my hand, I could actually break dance because I still have a palm, right? So I could still press and I could still do all that stuff. So I've been doing break dancing since I was in elementary school. It's the, actually the love of my life. I still watch break dancing to this day, like every day still, even to this day, I still watch it every day even when I'm not doing YouTube stuff. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that aside, um, so 2005 happened and I was at a party and uh, I just battled some random guy at a party. <laughs> That's just what you do. <laughs> so there was a circle there at a party and I just started battling some random guy that I didn't know. And then when I got up, like everything below my waist just got super heavy. And I just had this really, really bad pain like in my back and I just felt right to the ground. I didn't like slam or anything. I just got up and it just felt this weird weight, uh, everything below my waist and um, just felt this excruciating pain eventually. And then I found out that I had something called a herniated disc. Now, for those of you who don't know what a herniated disc is like, so you imagine your spine, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a doctor now, right? your spine and in between each uh, uh, your vertebrae is a disc. And what happened is that you just kind of, your disc get crushed. And when your disc gets crushed, it kind of bulges out, kind of slips out. You call it like a slip disc. And then it touches something called the sciatic nerve and your nerve just like shoots down. So it's a nerve problem, right? And so when it shoots down, it shoots down to my back, to my butt, all the way down to my feet. Like it was literally hell for me, you guys. Like it's not just like a, like a little ache on the back. Every morning I would get up and I would feel like I'm stepping on a bunch of needles. It was like the weirdest thing. If I sneeze, it hurts. If I cough, it hurts. If I laugh, it hurts. And I laugh a lot, you guys. And it just hurt like hell all the time. So you, Dude, I would just be walking, literally, I'll just be walking super slow, like, like as if I'm like a really old person. Like, honestly, I have to hold on to rails. And literally, my leg would give out. Like, I'll just feel a sharp pain go shoot down, and I would fall to the ground. Like, it was so embarrassing. That's happened uh, many times. And if I'm lying down, you know, I had all these things where all these methods of people saying, this is how you could get better. I didn't get better, you guys. I, had, I did physical therapy. <laughs> I had a bunch of Asian friends to like do acupuncture, you know, it works. And then I did acupuncture, that didn't work. <laughs> so obviously I actually got worse. And so keep in mind, I don't believe in the supernatural nonsense, right? Um, but I'm still praying because I'm a Christian and, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm still at a church. I was pastoring at a church at that time and they were praying for me. Nothing was happening. I was actually getting worse. I was at a university, a private school, because I was getting my theology degree at that time. Every class, everyone was pretty much aware of my back problem um, because I was very open about it and they would pray for me. I got worse. So obviously you, you could imagine the questions that I was having towards God, the way I understood God at that time. Like, what the heck, dude? Like, I'm, God, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm serving. I'm not doing anything shady uh, from what I'm aware. And why is this happening to me? And then not too long after that, I had a really extreme attack in my chest one night that was, felt like a heart attack. And just for some context, I never, I don't ever remember even having heartburn, you guys. So I could imagine, you know, I know people who get heartburn when they're, I, I don't remember. So if I ever did have like chest pain or heartburn, it must have been so subtle. So I never had that stuff, you guys. 
But one night I was at a friend's house and then had this really extreme attack in my chest where everything on my left side of my body got really numb and I was scared. And it was so bad that I was about to pass out and I thought I was going to die. So, um, I mean, I was telling my parents to take me to the hospital and I was even like confessing all my sins, just in case I die, right? Just in case, you know? And then uh, uh, it must have probably was a stupid call, but I, I in, eventually just tried to endure it and just fall asleep, you know, just to try to knock out and until it goes away. But I eventually went to the hospital and then I was diagnosed with something called GERD, which is gastro, gastroesophageal reflux disease. I never even heard of that, you guys, before. It's like a weird word, GERD. Right. And so basically with my throat is that uh, it wasn't closing properly. And so all the acid kind of comes up to my throat. And so from that attack, you guys remember, like I said, it's, it must have been subtle, but I don't remember ever having chest pains or heartburn. But that really bad attack that I thought was a heart attack from that day forward, I had chest pain, I had heartburn and I had vomit taste in my mouth every day, like every day. You give me like a little tiny lifesaver, right? Those little tiny candy. Dude, I'm screwed up the entire day. And I was scared because at the hospital, they told me it was an extreme form of it. And I started researching it back in the day. And I'm just like looking at what, what it's GERD like. And this is what, that's what it looks like in my body. So fear took over me even more because of this stuff. And remember, I don't believe in healing really at that time. So I was just getting more fearful. Um, and then 2006 happened, which was a year later, obviously. So I was enduring a lot for one year of both of those things. I'm not praying about my hand, not asking any, any of that. So that wasn't an issue for me. And then I met a guy named William Beeson. And here's this guy who they, they called him like a modern day miracle. And remember, I've heard miracles stories all those eight years. It's all BS to me. But here's this guy talking to me and several other students, talking about how he was considered uh, like a modern day Job. Now, for those of us who, are not, who don't have a religious background, Job in the Bible was just somebody who suffered a lot. Let's just put it like that. So this guy, Willie, was like a modern-day Job. The discs in his spine ruptured. So that's already wild. Like, so he already had surgeries. But he had five surgeries. When you have one surgery, you're never the same. He had five. He had to get two more. So it's going to be a total of seven. He was bedridden 22 hours a day. His left leg was going to get amputated. His family was pretty much like not an you know, just, everything was falling apart for him. His business wasn't going well, obviously. He was this really, really big guy, but once he had his injury and back surgeries, he was like super, super scrawny and bedridden. Long story short with Willie, he goes to this church to, uh, to like a healing service and to get prayer. And then he heard a voice say, you're not going to die. Like he literally heard it like out of thin air and this bright light shine on him. And he knew it wasn't the fake healer because his fake healer was like this Korean guy with a really thick Korean accent. <laughs> so he knew it was like something out of the ordinary. And, but when he heard that voice say, you're not going to die, he actually got depressed. And so he's just there like in his wheelchair thinking, well, I don't want to live like this the rest of my life, right? So he goes home. Nothing happened at that, in the moment, at that moment when he was getting prayer. He starts documenting what happened, you know? And next thing you know, he has an out-of-body experience. You know, of course, I'll just keep this part short. He has this heavenly experience who he would identify as Jesus. And this figure this said, uh, you are going to be 100% healed, restored to your youth. Boom, he comes back to his body. 100% heals you guys. His body is so not even normal. It's not even normal, you guys, because I, I know him. I, I would visit his house many times, became good friends. He would pick up a sofa with just one hand easily. 
It's like, what the heck? He's like, Josh, when I got healed, like my body just became different. And he started to show off a bit where he got kind of proud because <laughs> he started showing up the strength like he's Samson or something, you know, like, and people, people knew it. He could just get a can, like crush it easily. And um, he says, Josh, I could outdo anybody your age, you know, physically like that. And he's like, Josh, feel my forearm, feel my stomach. It's hard as a rock. I don't even work out. So his arm, like, remember, he was this really scrawny guy. Then he gets miraculously healed during out of body. His son would just touch him and be like, dad, you feel like electricity all over you. And he just plumped up. <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing, right? So I, I, I meet this guy, Willie, and I hear his story. And obviously, that was a phase in my life where I don't believe anything. But I started to be open because obviously I was struggling a lot. And I'm thinking, this guy might be telling the truth because he's very monotone. You know, I could sense he's not trying to like persuade us by being a dynamic speaker. He's very monotone. And he brought in medical records and documentation from UCLA, from Germany. And uh, he even had an atheist friend, which is really interesting. One of his closest friends is an atheist who was there before his healing and even there after his healing. And he was still an atheist. And he even said that, yeah, I'm still an atheist, but I know Willie was like this one day and the next day he's like this. So to have an atheist friend like that kind of gave him more credibility to me, right? So when that happened, you guys, I went all in in revisiting the topic again of healing and all of the supernatural stuff and charismatic Christianity and you know I was still a Christian at the time I would still identify myself as a Christian at the time so I, I put all my school work aside because it was my graduating semester <laughs> and I'm like ah this healing stuff's more important to me <laughs> because I'm suffering physically and I started to visit all these events again it's like it's like that my journey back in the day when I go to those crusades when I was a kid but this time it was with a completely different filter and I didn't go to those events where those people with weird, funky hair asking you for your money. And it was like a really different, different people that I never even heard of who were former skeptics, intellectuals who became, quote unquote, believers in the supernatural. So that was like the personality, personalities I was drawn to. I was drawn to the skeptic, skeptical type. So I went on it, went all in with that. And then um, I started doing it. I started healing, start, you know, because I was reading so much on it. And when I would do healing, for the first time, boom, people started getting healed for the first time. Like, oh, I remember just trying it and someone had a cast on and the pain just went away and then they, they took off their cast. Like not too long. Ago, I was like, whoa, that's, that's weird. Cause I never did that kind of stuff before. Usually you just like pray to God, you know, Lord, if it be your will, <laughs> things like that. But now I'm like commanding the body and this time, like that was very kind of new to me. So I was doing that. And then obviously when it came to my body, 100% healed to this day you guys so um i'm 40 years old now <laughs> i know i look like i'm 15 you know but i'm 40 years old now and uh you guys it's been 15 years since my my healing 15 years and my my back's completely good i was carrying a bag today the whole day dude i was just chilling at the mall today the whole day wearing a bag if you met me back in the day you give me a little laptop or whatever just a little backpack with a book i'll stink and cry you know and it's been 15 years and my body i could eat anything i want whenever i want and I'll say that again, I can eat whatever I want, whatever I want. And I know people are against the stuff that I eat. That's fine. I eat whatever I want. Like I'll just eat, get, have like an energy drink. Give me energy two or three in the morning. I'll go to straight to sleep. Now, I'm not telling your audience to do that. Obviously, that might have some bad effects on some of your people, right? That's just me because I like to eat. And I'm 40 years old now. But if my body was the way it was before, where you give me a freaking lifesaver, right? For just one look, and I'm screwed up the whole day. And now I'm eating chocolate. I just bought some Magnum ice cream bars earlier, <laughs> right? I'm going to eat that later. I bought chips earlier. I mean, all that stuff. Once again, I'm not recommending people to do that to each his own. I'm just saying is that I know my body is not normal. I know it's not. So that's why I'm very confident that something's taken happen to my body. So when I started sharing healing to so many people, they were skeptical of me. 
because they would look at my hand, but they couldn't deny what, what, what my healing because they were with me during that journey because a lot of Filipinos were like in the medical <laughs> in the medical scene. So they were the ones telling me, you're going to have this condition the rest of your life and this and that. And I'm like, nah, it's, it's gone. It's gone. They, they, they were there. And so some of them were actually pissed off at me, believe it or not. They would actually tell me, like, no joke, they would be aggressive with me and say, you were the one that told us not to believe in this stuff. And now you're teaching it. And I'm like, I know, I'm surprised too. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You know, I, I didn't expect this either. The irony of it all, the guy who's preaching, preaching against healing for eight years gets sick. <laughs> Next thing you know, uh, is able to heal himself, thankfully. And so obviously, you guys, that, that really changed my life. And so I was still serving at a conservative church at that time. So I started sharing my story to the whole church. And so obviously, I got in trouble for that <laughs> because a lot of the conservative types don't like hearing stuff like that. They think I'm one of those wannabe faith healers. Just stick to the Bible. Just stick to the Bible thing. I ended up leaving um, that church and you know, just going on my own journey. I didn't have a job. And that was my, my job. You know, I studied. I went to seminary. But I just trusted God. And I made a living. Believe it or not, I made a living through speaking engagements every single week. It just all of a sudden the speaking engagements just picked up while I when I right when I left my church. The timing of it all. How interesting is that? Just knowing that you quote unquote God took care of me. Now when it comes to my hand, obviously my hand is still the same. So everyone will always ask that question. Well what what the heck? Look at his hand. You know I'm 40, 40 years old now. I've accepted it in that sense because when I look back, it's it's it shaped me who I am today. And let, let me also say it like this. Does, does that mean that I'm not open to having, you know, a fully formed hand? No, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's cool. I, I would, but I don't seek after it like I used to, right? Because, you know, I would tell my wife like, hey, you know, we go to Starbucks all the time. Like, it would be nice to have like hold the two drinks for us. I'm like, here you go. You know, just like little funny things like that. Like it, it doesn't hurt, but I, I, I just would like people not to be little like that if I'm, that I'm open to it. Because some people say, you don't need, you don't need two hands. Well, yeah, I, I don't need it, but I wouldn't mind it, right? But I'm at that place in my life where, I've accepted it and it's made me who I am. Um, there was a lot of pain that went on, you know, in my journey and it's helped me to become more, I guess, uh, understanding to people because when I would put out some of my videos about my hand, um, there would be people who would reach out to me who had the same thing or parents who have kids who have the same thing. And then they would tell me that my videos would inspire them or things like that. And then I would just tell them, you know, tell this to your kids and, you know, just try to encourage them and um, that they're going to be okay, because I, I wish I had, you know, people telling me that when I was a kid, because when I was a kid, I had a lot of fear, like I said, of like things that a lot of people wouldn't even think of, I guess, because I was really afraid to get a job. Like I said, I was really afraid, like, how do I do that? Because we didn't have online stuff back in the day, you guys, you know, like I just, you just got to work at the mall, <laughs> you work as a, as a bag boy or cashier or whatever. I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, so things like that really was a fearful thing. Like I said, even relationships, it took me a long time to get into relationship. So all that to say is that I, I, I'm grateful for I am when it comes to the healing stuff. And um, who knows? I mean, you know, I could still wake up the next day and have two hands and I'm like, hey, there you go. <laughs> I wasn't even like seeking after it, which would be pretty dope too. But if not, I'm okay with it too. Um, just like life's still beautiful. Um, and then, you know, to continue on with my story, are we still good with time, Kyle? Yeah. Okay. Just give me five more hours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, I start once again, I started to uh, delve into stuff that's not just healing, but I started to be open to other things you would consider paranormal, right? Because I was very drawn, not just to the healing, but to what's called 
in Christianity at least, the prophetic. Because these are the people who knew things about people. And I'm talking about like legit, specific, they could even, I know it sounds bad, but like they, suppose I heard stories of people even knowing people's social security numbers and this and that. I'm like, whoa, that's wild, dude. That's kind of scary, <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. So, but I was very drawn to it because I saw in how in other ways it, it would actually help people um, when, when you just kind of would speak to their lives of things that they didn't even tell you. And so I started learning stuff, some of those kinds of things. So for example, my, one of my first one, that doesn't seem so out there, but it was one of my beginning stories was I was at a place called The Block. It's like an outdoor mall um, in California. And I was at a bookstore and just randomly, you guys, I just heard a voice say, ask her about her dad. And I was like, that was weird because obviously you have thoughts going in your mind like, like crazy. But then I, just, I really heard a voice say, ask her about her dad. Very general, right? But there was a different texture to it. So I was like, all right, it's kind of weird. I don't want to like scare her away or think that I'm hitting on her or whatever, you know, so, but I just asked her, I said, uh, excuse me. And then I just started asking her about her dad. Immediately, she started crying. And then she started opening up about how she had some abuse going on. And then my friend and I were able to talk to her and encourage her. And it was, it was, a, it was an amazing time to, to see that. But afterwards, my skepticism kicked in. And I was like, wow, that was pretty amazing that that happened. But why did I hear a voice just say, ask her about her dad that doesn't sound very like wow because you know i'm, I'm not trying to downplay this but there, there are a lot of people who are abused obviously but why didn't i hear a voice say ask her about her dad whose name is this and abusing her i didn't hear any of that so my i, I started to doubt some of that stuff but it's weird that i heard it though it was different not too long after i go to school when i was in the library and there was a girl two seats to my right in the library we're both using the computer and um, all of a sudden, I heard her get really emotional. She was looking at something on the screen. I couldn't see the screen, obviously, but she was getting real emotional. So I was like, all right, let me just try this again. So I just I started listening in this time, <laughs> not listening to her, but trying to tune into like spirit, right? And then I, and then a name popped up. I was just like, oh, okay. And I said, excuse me, does this name mean anything to you? And she's like, oh my gosh, that's the person that I'm contacting. I was like, oh my gosh, I am hearing voices. And so like things like that where they start to become more specific. Right. And then, of course, I, I doubt a little, but I, I still am open because like, well, that was I got a name, you know, and it wasn't just like a general name, like John or something like that. Right. And then after that, I started joining a healing. Uh, you would call like a healing team back in California. And they started to train me. And I noticed that when I was going all in with this, stuff, I started to feel people's pains like a lot. Like that was so new to me. And so every time I would like walk in a room, I would just feel all these random things. And then I would ask people, oh. Um, this, do you feel this? Like I would feel something like on my, specifically my right knee. Do you feel this? Like, yeah. Oh, right, I feel something on my knee. And then I do healing on their, their knee and then it would go away. And of course, you know, there's skepticism there too, but then it happens so much. You guys were like, no, there was something going on because um, even if I don't come in contact with people, you know, even back in the day, we had text messaging and I would just, they would come to my mind and then I would feel something in my body. And then I would ask them and then they say, yeah, I, I feel that on my specific area, my neck or my back, whatever oh, this is weird. I've never heard that you could actually feel people's specific pains by feeling it yourself. But that was like weird, you know? I don't want to feel someone's heart attack, <laughs> you know? Something like that, right? And, but, but that was something that was so uh, uh, normal for me to, uh, to feel when I, when I would be in a room. Um, but then when I started learning all those kinds of things, I came to the Philippines. This was back in 2009. So obviously I'm still here as a missionary. And then out of all the time, times when you're a missionary i started to question my faith <laughs> out of all time right 
and, and not because I'm mad at God, but it was more so like I was out of the church system because I was already turned off by the institutional church system. It was just too much like a business for me, right? Not to paint all of them like that, but just in my experience. So I left that system and I came here on my own, um, just fully on my own, right? I wasn't even married at that time. And I just started meeting a lot of people who are just like super legit and kind and loving who are not Christian. And I just started reading up on other faiths more because back in the day, doing healing for so long, I was always thought that everything that's not Christian healing was demonic. That's how we would look at it. Oh, if it's not of Jesus, it's demonic, dude. It's a, it's an angel. It's a demon disguised as an angel of light, things like that. Right. And um, so it was all like new age to me, but then I started to open myself up to other healing modalities and like quantum healing, right? collective you know <laughs> i was open to quantum healing energy healing quantum touch qigong all these kinds of things and, and if you could kind of tell by my personality like when i learn something i actually go all in that's just how my personality is i really want to learn and so i went all in with that and then i started trying those uh healing modalities and i've even posted some youtube videos are like super old now but you could see it where i, I really did test it and i'm like all right i'm not going to do my christian version i'm going to do it this way and see if it works. And then I would post it on YouTube back in the day. And it worked. <laughs> so what I started to realize is that um, God's a lot bigger than we think. The universe is, is a lot bigger. Love is a lot, is a lot bigger. What's going on is a human experience. This is a human experience. And so what I saw within the Christianity was a prophetic. And then those that were not Christian, we would call it psychic. Right? But then in Christians, we would call it like words of knowledge, where you know specific information. And here in non-Christian, we would call it like a psychic reading. Or in my upbringing, we would see people shaking and having weird stuff on their back and then falling down. We would call that Holy Ghost is upon you. And then when I started exploring outside of that, people were having the same experience, but we call that a Kundalini. And I'm like, huh. So I guess what's going on is that what's happening is we're having a human experiences. And I was just so boxed in into my fundamentalist Christian upbringing that we were the right way, that we're saved. We have the gifts. You don't. And if you do, you probably have it from the devil. You know, that, that it's, it's weird, but that's how I thought back then. I was so close-minded, but I eventually um, let go a lot of a lot of my fundamentalist Christian beliefs. And obviously, uh, that let down a lot of people. That let down my family, let down my friends. It surprised everybody because uh, I was kind of like the, the golden boy to a lot of people in, you know, my circle and say like, wow, you went to seminary and now you're missionary serving God and now, what happened? You got into new age, though, so, you know, and then, and then I started talking about out-of-body experiences, you know, and so let me transition to this before then I could end, because I know I've been talking a lot, but believe it or not, my out-of-body experience started, actually started back in 2006, while I was still a Christian, when I still identified myself as a Christian, and what happened was that I was in the library, and um, this was at seminary, and I was just chilling on a beanbag, and all of a sudden, I saw this extremely bright light just shining on like super super bright as some as if someone put a flashlight but i could hear this sound zzz, like that like a lasery sound and then my in my head I, I was like oh my gosh i heard about this <laughs> you know and then i started uh vibrating like really bad as if i was being crushed by this energy it, it went back you know it came back several times um, but then nothing happened and i was like well what what the heck was that you know i didn't go out of my body but it was just like a weird experience that lasted a while not too long after that, I was in a library again. There's <laughs> something about this library, you know, it's probably haunted. Now, but now I was on the beanbag again. And once again, I saw the bright light and it started vibrating again. Next thing you know, boom, 
I was in another aisle of the library and I was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it, it totally caught me off guard because I, I didn't know about out-of-body experiences at that time. Remember, I grew up with near-death experiences. You got to get into like a car accident or be dying in a hospital bed. So to like randomly be out of your body was so foreign to me. You know, so that happened where I came out of my body in the library where I ended up in another aisle. And my vision was actually very gloomy. It was very dark, which was kind of strange, right? And then boom, I snapped back right into my body. It's like, what was that? You know, I was like, is that the devil, you know, attacking me? Because I'm about to preach. Because I'm about to preach. I was about to preach later on. So I was like trying to come up with all these explanations because I didn't know that. So years later, so I kind of put that on the shelf, right? Because I was still a Christian. And years later, I, since I was opening myself up more to the, what you would call paranormal stuff, I wanted to go back to out of body. So I started to find out like, wow, there are people who can learn and teach you how to do out of body. So once again, I, I ate up that material. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, watch this, Remy. I'm going to go out of body. Just watch. You know? And then I did that for months and then nothing happened. I would like try another day, nothing happened. And then finally, after a couple of months, boom, happened. And after that first out-of-body, when I did a technique, it happened all the time, like regularly. So like I said, with my personality, like I just go all in again, so I'm going to go again, <laughs> you know? And then, um, so I started, ask, I started exploring, right? Trying to ask questions like, is this real? Is this legit? Is this just like a, in my dream? And so we would call that like vertical evidence. Right. So when I would come out of my body, I would literally just float up and I could actually see my wife. She's wearing the same clothes that I saw, you know, when we went to bed and I looked around. Now, oh, everything's the same. In fact, it's so real that when I look around, like I don't even know that I'm out of body because it's just that real. But then I'm floating, <laughs> you know, things like that. And then I would and I did that for for years, you guys, before I I shared it on YouTube, because I knew that if I if I shared that on YouTube and I was still had my Christian material up there, there's going to be a lot of pushback. So I, I remember just telling my wife, like, I can't share this stuff now, but I, I'm going to keep doing my research because I wanted to treat it like, like I'm a reporter, you know? <clears throat> and so eventually I came out with my video on YouTube talking about how I'm no longer identifying myself as a Christian. I kind of did that strategically because I wanted to open up my audience. I was open to uh, uh, other people who were not just fixed on Christianity. And so I, I did that. And I even told my wife, like, are you ready to lose friends? I'm going to post this. <laughs> you know, I was like that. And then and I did that. And then was, what happened is that, yeah, a lot of people uh, left, you know, didn't follow me anymore. Like thousands of people just like left and sent me really nasty emails. And I was actually really okay. I was like, all right. So now we could kind of like just let these people go because I want to start talking about astral projection, you know, and then all this other law of attraction because the law of attraction was like new age back in the day to me, you know, but now I'm, I'm learning all this stuff. And I just shifted to what I'm doing now, you guys. And, um, and I love it. And now just meeting people like you, you guys, and, you know, your beautiful meditation, Leia, and just Kyle, your heart. Like I said, I, I heard your interview. Uh, I think it was with Brian Scott. I think it was with Brian, right? You did an interview. And I'm like, oh, I, I like this guy. You know, so so I feel like we're just kind of connecting and, you know, we just have an understanding, right? I mean, we all have, have our differences, but there's a certain understanding that we have, a connection. And now I'm just doing what I'm doing today, which is just sharing my heart on my YouTube channel, uh, writing. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much it for now, you guys. Uh, if you have any questions, let me know. <laughs> Wow, Josh, thank you so much, man. That was profound, incredible, amazing. Like Leah said, you have such a genuine energy. I truly love your energy, man. And, uh, thank you. you know, I wanted to just thank you. You have this YouTube channel that has like 85,000 followers and 
you're speaking about reality creation a lot, you know, manifestation, yeah. law of attraction, um, reality transfer thing, and you're helping 85,000 people create the reality of their dreams. Yeah. So people like you, man, are so valuable to where we're going. I can't, I can't thank you enough, man. I truly honor you. And thank you. again, thank like you your guys. energy just makes everybody want to spend time with you. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that journey, man. Like I, I sure. it was powerful really to hear all thank that. You. And I think thank a lot of people are going to find value in that. So one um, question that I wanted to ask you before sure. we open it up, I see a lot of people have questions. can you speak on um just like maybe a couple of your favorite reality creation techniques oh man there's too many but yeah obviously right (laughs) well i I could say one that really stands out to me because Mm. it's more personal to me was neville goddard's um it's called a state akin to sleep it's called a sats method and Mm. the reason why that hits home for me is because that was actually one of the ones that i believe became very instrumental in my healing back in 2000, you know, 2006 ish. And I didn't even know who Neville Goddard was at that time. So basically the technique is, is that as you're going to bed, you're, you're going to reach that point where you, you have the, you reach a hypnagogic state, right? Where it's like, you're half awake and you're, you're half asleep where you're about to like knock out, but not totally, but you're still a little bit awake where you can control your thoughts. That time is actually prime because during the day, obviously you're more, you're more awake right? You're more conscious. So imagine you're trying to like imagine something that you don't have. And if you're fully awake, you're like, nah, that ain't going to sneak it happen. <laughs> you know, you have all these doubts kicking in and like, no, but when you're falling asleep, um, you're less argumentative, meaning that your subconscious is going to be a lot more receptive. Now, the reason why, like I said, that was, this is more uh, effective for me is because when I was sick back in 2006, what I would do is, is that there was a there was a church down the street from my house. They would call it like a 24-hour prayer church. So they were literally open for 24 hours. You could go there like at three in the morning, you guys, and you'll see a bunch of old people praying on their knees. Like that's how hardcore they were, you know? And when I would I would try to like prove to God at that time, that's kind of like my thinking, got to prove to God how serious I am. I would go to this church and the church would be very dim. It was very gloomy, right? Uh, the lights were kind of down and then the AC was on. So I felt like really comfortable. And then I was doing my imaginal acts. I didn't know who Neville Goddard was at the time, but according to charismatic Christianity, if you just read the Bible in general, just talk about where you speak things that are not as though they were right. Or you quote the Bible verse by his stripes, you are healed. So I would imagine myself completely healed. And, you know, back then I would imagine myself lifting weights and carrying a backpack and not just walking, but I would imagine myself running and then I would imagine myself eating whatever I want to eat. And I would feel its reality. And because it was so late at night, like two or three in the morning, I would knock out (laughs) and then believe it or not, my body got healed. And so that's why I find, I found that one so effective, not just because of that, but I remember that I remember it. And, And it's like I said, I didn't even know who Neville was at the time, but so I still do that to this day, like literally every night, because I see that it's so effective, not just for me, but just to clarify with your viewers, I don't tell people that there's one technique because a lot of people ask me, what's, what's the best one, right? If you ever want to, <laughs> yeah. well, it depends. It's not really what's the best. It's just whatever technique will help you reach the state because it's always about entering a particular state of consciousness. If affirmations doesn't work for you, screw affirmation. You don't got to do the affirmation. You don't, you don't got to do a vision board. You don't got to do the SATS technique. Who cares? Right? You don't got to do a, a long guided meditation. You don't have, it's whatever will work for you. So if, if doing an affirmation works, do it. As long as you get into the state, 
if you could feel the wish, you know, assume the feeling and the wish fulfilled as Leia was talking about in her guided meditation. If you just do the guided meditation and you're just hearing Leia's voice, oh, you know, nothing happened. Oh, I did that 30 minutes or whatever. I did affirmations all day long. Nothing. You're, you know, they're missing the essence. You have to enter a state of consciousness where you feel it's reality, that it's happening right now. If you're not doing that, you're wasting your stinking time. But like I said, if you do the SATS technique, it's, it's, it's powerful because if you have a lot of doubts, it's very effective because like I said, you're, you're knocking out. And so your, your mind is more like a sponge in that sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Josh. I love that. Sure. So I see a few, a few hands up. So we're going to go to Claudia first. Hi, Claudia. Hey, thank you. Hi. Thanks so much for sharing all of your experiences. Sure. I can totally relate <laughs> to everything. Uh, I've been astral projecting since I was a kid. <laughs> nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask a little bit about really intense healings. When you, okay. when you do them for people, I had a pretty intense experience yesterday. Something's happened recently where like the healings I work with people are just getting almost like way beyond like what I can handle as a 3D person. Uh-huh. And um I'm still like a little shooken. Okay. And I didn't know if you had like any um, advice for when like the healings get really intense from the other person and just like what I could do to like ground myself a little bit better and make sure that I can okay. handle these things. Okay. Can you give me an example of what you mean by healings being intense? Because I'm not. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I had a person have a seizure yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, and did they get healed? Or is that just like a, an effect that happened? I think so, because she okay. told me, like, I could see her face is starting to get like less swollen and stuff like that. And yeah, so there's changes happening, but it's still incredibly scary. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. So I could give you an example. So one of the aspects that I, I actually left out in my journey was that I was heavily involved in what you would call like a spiritual warfare as a Christian. So I saw a lot of like possessions, people on the floor looking like they were having seizures, too. Now, one of the things, obviously, what you want to do is just make sure that you're, you know, you're not doing anything that's manipulating their mind, right? It's not like you're telling them to have like a seizure, obviously, but just to ground yourself is you want to always approach these things with no fear, right? Because the more fear you have, you're going to actually start to, you can actually start to contribute to something manifesting mm. in a negative way, right? So I'm not trying to put all the blame on, on us, but in a sense though, we're, we're kind of we're kind of the one leading when it comes to a person's healing. That's why when, when people come up to me for healing, I don't put any dependency upon them, right? So back in the day, for example, um, um, like, I, or just think of like a typical critic of healing. They'll be like, well, I went to that faith healer and, you know, uh, or, or no, no, let's put it this way. Me as a healer, I shouldn't put the blame on the other person. Why? Because they're the ones coming to us for healing. So, so the response back then would be like, well, that person didn't have enough faith right that's how we would that's how a lot of people who do healing and the person that they're praying for doesn't get healed they would put the blame on that person my point is is that it's kind of the responsibility of the person doing the healing so when i do a healing session i don't put any pressure on people i don't even ask them questions sometimes i don't want to know mm -hmm. so what i do is i try to create an environment where they feel safe i always ask for permission and i also ground myself in the sense that i have nothing to fear now the reason why they could be manifesting those kinds of physical things is for, it could be a number of reasons, right? If you do believe in uh, spirits, you know, that are not as kind, those things really depends on your, your worldview on that. 
but at the same time, it could be energy that's kind of like built up. And, you know, I've seen, you know, there are people who actually even vomit. I don't know if you've seen things like that and stuff like that happen. And so, there, you know, to be honest, it's, it's kind of subjective for a lot of people. We all have different um, explanations for why these things happen. I'd say just focus on yourself that whenever you approach anybody in healing, you have nothing to fear. Always do everything in love. Always do everything in compassion. Do things asking them for their permission, right? Like that's one of the things that I would do. Like, oh, do you mind um, if I lay hands here? Or if not, because they might feel like, um, don't touch me, you know, things like that, right? So, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know what else to say except just just have a heart of compassion and love because you, you sometimes I, I see a lot of healers, I'm not accusing you, I'm just saying in general, where people just want to see a healing. Like, oh, I want to see a healing. And they, they forget about having the compassion that, no, 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 these people are hurting they're sick, <laughs> you know, so, so I think that's one of the things that's helped me when I was sick, is to have more compassion, instead of just like being gung-ho, I just, I want to see a miracle today, man, just so I can convince my skeptical mind, and then we start treating people like these little experiments, or little objects, just to see, you know, but um, just do everything in love, and then whatever happens, hey, crazy stuff happens, hey, Jesus did some stuff, and people manifested some weird stuff, you know, or people, are even, if, you, if you do believe in, you know, entities that are not so, so loving, they were manifesting even during Jesus' time, if you're, if you're open to um, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, just do everything with grace. Always, always check your heart of like, okay, why am I doing this? Um, don't, don't, I, don't find your identity in these things either, the things that you do. Don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself because when I used to do healing, initially, I, I felt too much pressure on trying to heal everybody. So every time I would be walking, um, on the street and I see someone with crutches and I walk by them I would feel guilty because I'm like oh man I didn't heal them you know and like if I have this ability or whatever gift you want to call it and and I remember telling myself like Josh stop trying to save everybody it's like me being as a Christian I was trying to save everybody then when I got into healing I was trying to heal everybody realizing that <laughs> don't do that <laughs> just like relax you know you're not you're not you're not meant to do that 24 7 and so do as your heart leads. Do everything with compassion and love because love is what ultimately heals in my opinion. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Thank you, Claudia. I uh, see Joe with his hand up. Whenever you're ready, Joe. Is he frozen? He might be frozen. <laughs> he looks pretty frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Just gonna say. Oh, and we lost Joe. All right, so we have uh, Bonnie. Go ahead, Bonnie. We'll circle back to Joe if he makes his way back here. Um, hi, Joshua. Hello. Hi, Bonnie. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. This is great. Um, I wanted to ask you when you sit, when you, I know it's a simplistic question, but when you say that, that you do healing, is it always laying on the hands or? what is no. your you know? no no so so that's i i only did that in the beginning because that's what i was taught from my christian friends right because they would give me bible verses about the laying on of the hands but then i realized that you don't have to do that because obviously there's what you would call distant healing or else right. you'd never be able to <laughs> pray for someone or do healing from someone in another country or whatever so yeah it, it's more of a mental thing so in the ultimate sense you don't have to lay hands right but it, it, it could work at the same time too because it's just like when, when people when that woman touched jesus's garment it's like Jesus felt the power, you know, come out of him, right? So, so there can be power of touch, uh, but at the same time, in the ultimate sense, you don't need that in the ultimate sense. So you can, it's just, it's just a method, right? Because just like I said, with, um, when I do healing before, 
especially when I would do healing over women, I would be more hesitant to lay hands on them. So I'd always ask them for permission. So I would even tell the ladies like, oh, do you want to lay your own hand on that area? So I don't have to do that. But then I learned over time that you don't even have to do that. But it helps some people's faith, to be honest, because they actually believe that some power can just go shoot out of their arm. And so it's honestly, in my opinion, you do get what you believe. So you could just even sit there and chill and don't do anything with your, with your arms. And if you realize that we're all one, right? So that person next to you, you're connected. That person thousands of miles away from you, you're still connected. You don't have to touch. It's all mental. So if you can do that, you could assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled for them in your, in your imagination, then I believe healing is possible without touch. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward okay. to getting into it too. Cool. <laughs> Secret to, to awesomeness, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. there's a healing chapter in there. So. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, does anyone else have any questions? Oh, yeah, awesome. Leah, go ahead, Leah. All right, Leah. Hi, Josh. That was Hello. so good. I got so much out of that. Cool. And it strikes <laughs> me to ask you this question that I was discussing actually with Claudia yesterday, which okay. is, in reality, transurfing, um, which a lot of it I do vibe with, but the one thing that makes me feel I can't really get with is the idea of balancing forces when you have okay. excess importance yeah. and mm -hmm. how to me, it's almost like um, the idea, you know how Einstein said, either decide it's a friendly universe, or uh -huh, not. Uh -huh. And that's one of the most important decisions you can make. Uh -huh. To me, this feeling like as if I give importance to something, and then there's some malevolent, like malevolent force that wants mm -hmm. to like knock me down. Yeah, feels yeah. awful to me. I can't in my yeah. heart, mm -hmm. make that feel right. So I wonder if what you think about okay. balancing forces, yeah. and if you could elucidate what it means to you in a way that would be more palatable to my soul sure sure yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah so when it when it comes to the the law of balance or importance <laughs> yeah. this is really important <laughs> so uh -oh, you know, watch I'm out no but but in, in in honesty um when it comes to the law of balance it actually I actually think about it more than the law of attraction just to be honest right so i do mm. teach on law of attraction and because I start, when I started to learn it several years ago, it was when I read Reality Transurfing. I started once again to filter my life and start looking at my old experiences and started to make sense of, oh yeah, that, that seems to make sense. That seems to apply when I place too much importance on such and such, that's when things started to go wrong. Now, it doesn't mean it's necessarily true, but that's how I under started to, started to under understand these things. Now, let me break it down for um, you guys or whoever's listening. So according to the law of balance, is that nature strives for balance in our lives. So ultimately, in the ultimate sense, everything's energy, everything. And nature strives for balance. So whenever there's any sense of imbalance in your life, and if nature always strives for balance, so what happens is that nature will give what's called balancing forces. So I would remove that it's like some malevolent entity. It's just nature, <laughs> right? So if we just remove the, 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 the evil yeah. entity, then it's a little bit more kind. So it's more, yeah. look at it as more of like neutral. So it's just the way it's just the way reality works, right? So what happens is that whenever you have an imbalance in your life where you place too much importance on something, and if you look at it like that, then in a sense, there's a lot of energy there. 
right? That's there's more energy here than than and there's less energy here. So because there's more energy here, you think of it as like a scales of balance. There's going to be some imbalance there. So nature strives for balance all the time. So nature is going to give balancing forces to neutralize the imbalance and bring things to a state of equilibrium. So here's how I look at it, right? And you could just take it if you will. If not, it's okay, right? Whatever doesn't make sense to you, you don't have to believe it, right? So this for me, it actually does. Because when I look back on the times when I was first a missionary, I struggle a lot, even for the most part, um, especially when I got married, I, we struggled financially. Like I just didn't even know how to pay rent because we lived off of the support of the people. So for the most part, we were okay financially for our, our daily living, but for the rent, it seemed like a challenge. I, I knew nothing about, I didn't learn law of attraction. I didn't know reality transurfing back in the day. So if you think about it, the, the, when it comes to the 30 days of the month, let's just say it's the 30th of, month, 30th of the month, the rent is due. So that day is very important to me because, you know, <laughs> I always got to think about like, oh man, how are we going to come up with rent <laughs> you know, at the end of the month? So every single day, it's normal. It's just really a normal day. But then the 25th comes along and there's a thing like, oh, a couple more days. Rents do We don't have the money, right? And so all of a sudden, like I would, each day would get closer and closer to the 30th. So I would place a lot of importance on it. It's more important than the other 29 days. But here's what happened, you guys. And I could say this with 100%, this is true, right? That if you could just take my word for it. What happened was that every time we didn't have the money, when it was very close to the 30th, I would go to the room and I would like pray. Sometimes I would like break down and be like, God, I feel so inadequate as a husband, you know, things like that. And I would just be like, ah, I don't know what to do. It's in your hands, God, right? That's kind of like my language at that time. It's just in your hands, Lord, you know? But when I would do that, I reduced the level of importance to, of it without even realizing it. I just said, okay, Lord, it's in your hands because I don't, it's due tomorrow. What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to speak at a church tomorrow to get money and I don't want to do it for the money, right? Every single time, Leah, every time, and this happened many times, if I'm, my wife can vouch for this, money came on the day or the day before, right? Every time I would just go, ah, kind of have that sigh of relief for years. And I would tell my wife, like, that's a trip. Like, how does it, why does that always happen? Like, it's kind of cool because we have these miracle stories of how God provides, but I don't like living like that where we think we start worrying <laughs> towards the end of the month. I don't like that though. I want to have, be more stable, a little bit more secure, you know? Um, and then I started learning about the law of balance. I was like, yeah, that's true. And then I started even looking back at my healing journey. Here's this aggressive guy speaking against healing places a lot of importance against faith healers, <laughs> ends up getting sick and becomes a healer too. <laughs> you know, so I started looking at my life. I'm like, hey, maybe, there, maybe there's something to it. And then I just started to notice that it started to really play out in my own life. So even for example, believe it or not, I had a business prior to all my YouTube videos that you guys see. I had a business before because like I said, we were struggling financially. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to live like this forever. So I started up a, an LLC. I had my own business at the time importing stuff from Asia, this and that, and, and which we basically accrued up a lot of debt. There was a lot of debt that was piling up, like over 25 Gs, like for years. And I was like, man, what? I can't even get it low. It's like, I'll just put it down a G or two Gs and it just goes back right back up again because of all the interest. And so for, for years, Leia, for years, unfortunately, um, I couldn't get rid of the debt. It's just like, I, I would lose sleep sometimes. Like, man, what the heck? Dude, I invest more money, put down another 
you know, import more, uh, manufacture more goods to try to pay off the debt. And then next, you know, it just get worse again. I bring it down and bring it back. I don't know. And then I learned about the law of balance. Okay. Here's what happened. When I, when I start placing importance of it, I stopped looking at my account, my, my Chase account, right? So I still got a Chase account back in the States. Because back then when I look at my account, I'm like, oh man, how do I get rid of that? <laughs> I can't do it. You know? And we still got our bills to pay in general, right? But then I started learning about the law of balance. If this law of balance is true, I'm not even going to focus on it. I'm just going to do what I love and not even worry. And I'm telling you, Leah, which is a couple of months, boom, all the debt was paid. Then when I look, I remember I saw the zero, zero balance in my Chase account and I screenshot it to my wife. I said, hey, Remy, check this out. I said, you know, Rem, when I saw that zero, zero, I felt no different. I felt no different because I remember when I made that decision just a couple months back that I'm not going to focus on it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do what I love to do, right? Which is teaching, speaking. And if I, if I did place a lot of importance on it, here's how I, how I would have reacted later. If I placed a lot of importance, when I saw that zero, zero, I would have been like, oh my gosh, thank you, God. <laughs> you know, there was none of that. Not that I didn't have gratitude, but I didn't have a lot of energy there of importance. Now, let me make a distinction though. When I'm saying that there's no importance, I'm not saying that you don't care about things, right? Of course, you want to care about your loved ones. You want to care about your children. But what I am saying is when you're placing importance, you're worrying because there's a sense. Here's a word that I think could be make it make it a lot more. Uh, it could give it more sense. If there's a dependency upon something, then you're placing a lot of importance on something. So, for example, when someone says um, someone gave me this question during a Q&A. So, well, Josh, my boys love basketball and they watch that documentary with Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. You got to be passionate and be obsessed with it and this and that. I said, oh, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong if your kids love doing that. But if they go to practice and they use language like this, well, if I don't make the team, then I'm a loser. If I don't make the cut, then my parents, my parents are not going to be proud of me, things like that. So I was telling this to the, the mother when she has been that's when you notice that they place too much importance upon their basketball. There's nothing wrong with being passionate, but it's different from being passionate and doing what you love and then becoming dependent upon something, meaning that if you don't do this, then I'm screwed. If I don't do this, I'm nothing. If I don't do this, no one will be proud of me or I don't have any value. Then you know that you place too much importance. And so I give this to people all the time. I coach people every single week, grown people, and they still talk like this to me, Leah. I won't mention any names, but there are some people I say, okay, if you don't, if your business doesn't make, doesn't make it, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm a loser. I'll be a loser. They, they would talk like that. These grown people, 50 years old, 60 years old, and they're still thinking like that. And so here's what I tell people. When, when, whenever you approach anything in life, you have a, bit, a business venture. When you do it, you treat it like a game. Even if you want to make six figures, seven figures, you want to just treat it like a game where you just want to have fun. You want to make this much money. But if you say, if I don't make that much money, and I'm, I'm just an idiot, man. Everyone's going to be disappointed in me. Then you place too much importance on it. So what I tell people is that here's what you do. When you have a goal, don't place too much importance on it. And if it doesn't work out, you still tell yourself, I'll still be okay. That's the difference. But if you have a goal and you say, it has to work, there's going to be no plan B because that's what the motivational videos people say. I mean, there's no plan B. It's got to be plan A. I have nothing against having a plan A if there's no importance. But if you have too much importance where there's a de dependency upon it, right, then you got to have a plan B. Not because you're going to fall back on plan B, but you entertain the idea of a plan B just to decrease the level of importance. Then once you decrease the level of importance energetically, mm -hmm. plan A becomes very easy. So that's how I've seen it in my own life, 
Leia, because when I make money now, and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that, I'm glad with how we're, I mean, we've suffered enough, to be honest, like all the years, like my <laughs> wife, stuck, she stuck with me during some really rough times, you know, and, and when we were struggling, I'd always be, I would cry many times when people would send me a donation, right? Because I would, there were times when I first moved to the States, like, God, why, what's going on? God, I mean, you know, you got a question, right? If you're like, with this kind of worldview that I had, like, God, you're supposed to provide, but we're struggling, right? We're, and, I, and I've heard all the theology where people say, well, God's testing you and this. I'm like, well, it's, he's been testing me for a long time, man. Like, what's the point? Like, we're, we're fighting. Me and my wife are fighting. You know, it's just like, it's not helpful, right? And then when I started not to worry about it and I just do what I love, right? You're, I was vibrating at a higher frequency if you want to use that kind of lingo. Don't even think about all the other stuff. Everything just follows. So when we make a lot of money, we can just put down several thousand for whatever investment, boom, it's easy. But back then I placed a lot of importance like, if I, if I put that much money, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't have any of that, to be honest. I don't, do, I don't have that kind of thinking. So in my own life, Leia, um, it makes sense to me. And if, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense to you and you still have a question, just start testing it, right? But there's, I, I, would, I wouldn't use a word like malevolent. It's just, it's just, this is just the way nature works, right? Because that's what I tell people that when, when something chaotic happens in your life, is because energetically your life's imbalanced somewhere. Like if you're working too hard, even if you have a sincere desire, to provide for your family you put so much you create what's called excess potential there's too much energy there that's excess you're providing with a good intention to provide but then you're neglecting your wife you're neglecting your husband you're neglecting your kid because something has to give right because your life is out of balance and so when, when suffering comes i tell people it's not god punishing you it's not the universe testing you it's just the way nature works you guys you just gotta relax you gotta take a breather and just watch things will start to flow a lot more smoothly when you don't have any importance anymore, when you don't have a dependency upon it, right? So once again, to clarify, you can, you can care for something, but don't be, don't be, don't worry about it, right? That, that's the main thing. So I could care for my, my family. I could care for my, my biological family estates, my wife, but I'm not worrying about that. The more you worry, right? That what energetically, what do you do? You start attaching that very thing that you're worrying because energetically you start to get the very things that you, that you love to hate, believe it or not, right? So Vadim even talks about that. So, so that, that's one of the wild things about like, you imagine someone says, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna marry uh, uh, an alcoholic because my dad was an alcoholic who abused me. I will not do that. So energetically, they're at that vibe where just like, they don't, it's not just an intellectual thing. They're energetically, they don't want it. So they place a lot of importance on it. And because nature always strives for balance, they don't want an alcoholic, right? How do you give balance to that? You give them an alcoholic. It's not because nature is evil or punishing. That's just the way nature works. But if you kind of chill, right? You just relax. It has nothing, because in, a, in the ultimate says, not to sound woo-woo, right? We're God. We're the ones creating these things. As Neville says, you are the operant power. You are. And my understanding back then was that there's this theistic God that's out there saying, yes, no, not now, maybe, it's his will be done. It was very random, very unreliable in my opinion. And that didn't really get me anywhere. And for me, that it kind of creates like, this is just my opinion, it, it could almost create like a defeatist mentality, because when I was sick and everyone was just telling me, you just leave it up to God, that didn't get me anywhere. I was just still sick. But when I realized that the power is in me, that Josh, you got to make a decision. You got to decide that you're going to heal your body. Then I did that, right? But then again, if importance were to come into play, it would have been a different story. So when you do try to manifest something, as Vadim says, you take that same energy as you would do as you're going to the mailbox to get your mail. And then you just take that same energy where you manifested that, you have an intention, I'm going to get my mail at the mailbox. There's no importance there. You do that. Take that same energy, apply that to the quote-unquote big things. But the problem is people shift their energy when there's a quote-unquote big thing. They can manifest their favorite dinner, 
oh yeah, 50 bucks. I don't mind spending it's a little bit. Better. And there's this other thing. Oh no, how am I going to do that? Once you start worrying, that's a sign of too much importance. When there's fear, when there's anxiety, those are signs of importance. Decrease the level of importance by thinking of a plan B. Once again, not because you're going to have to go through plan B, just entertain it just a little bit, just to decrease it. Like, yeah, if I don't get my favorite food tonight, I'll be okay. Things like that. And next thing you know, you get your favorite food. You know, like simple things like that. And then you apply it to everything else in life, right? Because it's really about balance, right? Does that make sense? I loved it. It filled oh, cool. in just the little bit of where I almost was. Okay. And cool. it was the perfect answer. Thank you so much. Oh, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad it makes sense. But yeah, just keep yes. question everything that I say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Larry. So Josh, uh, yeah. Is there any ways you can think of that the Quantum Healing Collective can support you? I know everyone's going to go read your books and they're going to subscribe to your YouTube channel, but is there any way we can uh, support you? I guess the way you guys could support me is uh, just love your lives, live your lives, man. Honestly, I don't really ask people for things for the most part. It's like, mm. you know, I, 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 no one told me to put these YouTube videos up. I was even doing that when we were struggling financially. All I want to see when I was a Christian and when I got out of my fundamentalism was just to see people live a better life because that's what I wanted for myself. You know, so when I get emails from people telling me on how their lives have changed because of the stuff that I shared, that always touches my heart. So mm -hmm. I guess one way that you support me in a way is that just do the things that I encourage you guys to do in my videos, just apply it to your life, live your live life to the fullest on your terms, despite what other people say, where you want to be fulfilled and not just do it because that that encourages me when I see people live their life to the fullest, right? Instead of just doing whatever, whatever else the people are expecting of them, family, friends, follow your heart, you know? And um, yeah, I just, I just love seeing people's lives change. So just do your thing, follow, follow your heart. That's how you support me, follow your heart because I, I tend to say that a lot in my videos anyways, because your, your heart knows what's best. And I think for years, I didn't listen to my heart because of uh, just the expectations from family and friends and you know, just it, my, my whole life would change if I, if I followed my heart and I'm glad that I did. So there's, you're going to, you're going to lose some people, but you're going to gain some people in your life. And, and who would want to live the rest of their lives, not, not following what they're hearing inside, you know, because like I said, I, I told my wife this years ago, right. And not to sound all overly dramatic, but I really did tell her this when we first, when I first met her, I said, you know, Remy, I, I, I don't want to live the rest of my life trying to please other people. I want to know that when I leave, I'm not, like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you, Remy, but when it's time for me to go home, um, I want to know that you could say that your husband was true to himself and that you know, our kids could say, daddy was so real and he followed his heart despite what people said. I want to be that type of person. So I made that decision to, to do that. And, and if other people can do that, all oh, that gives me so much joy. Right? You don't even have to tell me that, but like, just if I just know that, if you guys do that, yeah, your life will never be the same. Um, because your heart knows what's best and you'll always be taken care of when you follow your heart. Wow, brother. That was such an incredible meeting. <laughs> I, uh, I look forward to continuing our friendship. The Quantum Healing Collective truly loves you, Yeah, man. you guys are awesome. You guys oh, are awesome, man. I, I think it'd be awesome to have you back at some time. So. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. What we do now is we close with a, uh, a prayer for all those awakening okay. at this time. So cool. what we do is we reach out, we try to lock okay. arms energetically. So envision your hands locking with the person next to you. Cool. Um, we dedicate the merit of this meeting 
to all of those awakening at this precious time. May our efforts to better ourselves help shift the planetary consciousness from fear into love. May this energy ripple out into the world and awaken those with closed hearts, illuminate closed minds, and inspire all to live within the presence of compassion and generosity. <laughs>